This is Ask Dr. E, where Dr. Michael Easley answers your biblical or theological questions in 10 minutes or less. Today's question comes from Andrew. Andrew writes, Dr. E, I follow most of your podcasts and have listened to almost all of your Michael Easley sermons. That's a nice note for viewers and listeners. We do have another podcast called Michael Easley Sermons. Right now, we're not releasing new content, but it is really just an archive of all all of the Michael Easley sermons that we currently have in our possession and can put out into the world. So also, if you're a former Emmanuel Bible Church friend and you have the <laughs> Roman series or any other Michael Easley sermons that were preached at IBC, they might be on cassette tape. I can work with it. Like if you've got it somewhere, send it to me, find me, DM me, email us. Let's connect. Okay. Back to Andrew. So Andrew says, somewhere along the way, Dr. E, I heard you say you were more of a five-point Spurgeon than a Calvinist. Can you please possibly explain further on the statement? He says, I believe I'm a five-pointer, but I'm unsure exactly if Spurgeon believed along those lines as well, or if he had a slightly different view. So Dr. E, let's talk about the five points. Spurgeon, Calvin, let's go. I'm fairly sure I never put five-point Spurgeon and myself Spurgeon. in the same <laughs> sentence. I mean, I could have. Let's mm-hmm. take a step back and talk about this. And we, we had some very interesting interaction from our last diving into the Calvinism and five-point, so it's important to talk about these things. Let's define TULIP very quickly, or five-point sure. Calvinism. And I'm going to use, because I got some criticism last time about you know, where did you get these definitions and so forth? Yeah, so uh-huh. I, this is from yeah. a reformed group of guys. It's from Kelly Capick and Wesley Vanderloot, and it's called the Pocket Dictionary of the Reformed Tradition. So these are reformers writing yeah. what I'm going to read, so yeah. stay with me. So the TULIP is an acronym that supports the major doctrines of affirmation of the Synod of Dort in opposition mm-hmm. to Arminianism, which I talked about at great length and some people were very happy with me. Calvin did not yeah. say these things. Later reformers and so-called Calvinists put them together. Let's talk about the five points briefly. Total depravity, that's the tulip, unconditional election, yeah. limited atonement, yeah. irresistible grace, and yeah. perseverance of the saints. And let me pause and talk about yes. that last one for a moment. It's too often described as a true Christian will persevere until the end. That is not mm-hmm. the doctrine of perseverance of the saints the way the Reformers describe it. What that means right. is the Holy Spirit will persevere in the saint until the mm-hmm. coming of Christ. Yeah, praise God. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a complicated phrase. You go, oh, that means I have to, it, perseverance of, meaning I own yeah, this. I have yeah. to work yeah. and continue. So that's yeah. a misunderstood one. So let's talk about them briefly. And I appreciate it. Again, these are to reform writers. They said it was in opposition mm-hmm. to Arminianism. Jacob or Jacob Arminian was the one who came up with four points, maybe five, depending on how you line them up. And they took the exact mm-hmm. language. He talked about conditional election. I said, no, it has mm-hmm. to be unconditional election. So this was mm-hmm. a response to, and again, there's one church basically in this time frame. So keep that in mind. Let me go ahead on some observations here and you can ask me questions or whatever. One of the things we talked sure. about last time, too, when we talk about Reformed theology, and I want to say this kindly, but a lot of people say they're Reformed because their pastor or the person they watch online or a book they yep. read, that author is Reformed. And that's fine. Yep. I have no beef with that. But please be careful 
because what a lot of people say today, the reformers said. That's Mm -hmm. a very dicey statement. If you're going to quote Calvin Mm -hmm. or Luther or Melanchthon or Zwingli and where they disagreed, I'm with you. But if you're going to aggregate, well, all Calvinists believe or all reformers believe, I'm going to cross my arms mentally and go, you know what you're talking about. And I don't mean that to be too unkind, but I also want to say in love, know what you're talking about. Just because your favorite Bible teacher says he or she's a Calvinist or I'm a five-pointer, you need to know what that means. So let's talk about a couple of these. I would call myself a Biblicist, not a Calvinist. And I don't mean to be Mm. trite, but let me dissect one of these in particular, and that's limited atonement. That's the one I have the most pause with. And I've read thoroughly how the reformers view that, and they make a very good logical argument on limited atonement. Mm -hmm. The extent of the atonement was only for the elect. So this assumes a lot. We have to understand the doctrine of predestination and election, which most people that call themselves reformed are bread and buttered in. But to understand I was chosen before the foundation of the world based on nothing I do, nothing I did, nothing I would do, that God chose me kindly, That's the doctrine of election. Now, Mm -hmm. limited atonement says Christ's blood only was sufficient for the elect. In other words, a limited Mm -hmm. efficacy of the atonement. Mm -hmm. Unlimited Mm -hmm. atonement says, no, Christ's death is sufficient for all, but Mm -hmm. only the elect will respond to the gospel. So, for example, Mm -hmm. and this is striking, this is out of Calvin's own commentary. Let me set it up in yeah. John 1, 29, when John the Baptist sees the Christ and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, world. not the elect. Not yeah, the here elect. you go. Now, this yeah. is from his commentary on John, <laughs> quote, he uses the word sin in the singular number for any kind of iniquity, mm-hmm. as if he'd said that every kind of unrighteousness which alienates men from God is taken away by Christ. And when he says the sin of the world, he extends his favor indiscriminately to the whole human race. Quote, John Calvin, the father of Calvinists. I'm like tearing up. Well, (laughs) that sounds like unlimited atonement, right? Check me out on it. It's John Calvin's commentary on the Gospel of John. You can read it for yourself. We're going to try to put Ron Rhodes' article, his two-part article mm-hmm. on limited, unlimited, if we can get it in a PDF. And if not, in a future one, maybe we'll have Ron on to talk about this. John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever Whosoever. believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Again, Calvin. He has employed the universal term whosoever both to invite all indiscriminately to partake of life, to cut off every excuse from unbelievers. Such is the important term in the world which he formerly used, God so loved the world. So through nothing will be found in the world that is worthy of the favor of God. He shows himself reconciled to the whole world when he invites all men without exception. Wow. That's not limited. So right. we can go on right. with this point, but that's the one point. And the others, if we really dug down in them, total depravity I'm completely with because I know I deserve hell and I know I'm totally depraved. 
There are all yeah. kinds of definitions of what that means within the form right. camp. Right. The word original sins tossed around interestingly today when it used to not be. But anyway, that's the big one. Because the total depravity in response to Jacob Arminius, because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Arminius basically said, are we born blank slates? He didn't believe in right. original sin, that our culture and our environment influence us towards sin, and that we all are sinners, but like we're not born, a baby's not born yeah, they're totally innocent. depraved. And, and, and later right? on, yeah. later on, and what I would call modern theology, even the debate of the extent of depravity. Well, I don't murder, mm-hmm. I don't rape, I haven't robbed banks, I haven't, you know, mm-hmm. you know, beat my children. I'm not totally depraved. So total depravity is is that we are not as bad as we could be, but we are as bad sure. as we are. Sure. And then there's some, of course, it's not all Armenians, but some, I think, believe you can achieve a level of sinlessness. So, yeah. At some point, you can reach a maturity, a perfection where you are. I mean, I don't even understand well, it, so that's, I can't really that, articulate That, to me, is one of the most <laughs> dangerous and insidious parts of our church today churches that are leaning to a form of perfectionism. And the should and shouldn't language is very telling. You should do this, you shouldn't do that. Now, let me be careful, hear me clearly. I'm not saying we never use those terms, but if it's a Mm -hmm. culture of should and should it, if it's a culture of you ought, ought not, that's legalism. And legalism is imposing a system on you to say, you need to live like me or you're not a good Christian or you're not a Christian. Mm -hmm. And I've wow. heard men that I respect, nationally renowned Bible teachers say, you can't be a Christian if, and then we fill in a blank. And I want to say, back to Matthews 5, 6, 7, and 8, if you look yeah. upon her with adultery, right. you've committed right. it in your heart. So right. this need to be so nuanced and say, well, a Christian won't do that. Not a good Christian won't do that, but a Christian won't do that. Mm-hmm. I mean... A Christian, you can't be a Christian and. I understand some of the effort behind that, but let's be very cautious. A person who Mm -hmm. understands and embraces the gospel of Christ and how much life change is very difficult to measure. And we're being legalistic like the scribes and Pharisees when we try to measure. Now, that doesn't mean we never call a person to repent. doesn't mean we never say, my friend, you can't do that. I love you too much to let you choose to live this way. But that's not what we're hearing. We're hearing Christians Mm -hmm. don't do this and don't do that. And you won't, Mm -hmm. that's just as dangerous than ice. Anyway, we're off. The five Mm -hmm. points of Calvinism are a way of looking at a very small understanding of Reformed theology. They were clever. They were a response to Arminius. And that's what I want folks to keep in mind. And you can pull out any single volume handbook of theology and look up the Senate of Dort, sometimes called the Council of Dort, and you can read as much mm-hmm. as you want, a few paragraphs or a short article on why these five mm-hmm. points emerged, and I think it will help you. Rather than just saying, I'm a five-point Calvinist, or I'm a 3.5 Calvinist, right. or I'm a three-point Calvinist, because those right. theologies need to be understood in the context and how people apply them. So, mm-hmm. All right. Well, if you've got a question for Dr. E, call us, text us, email us. Ask Dr. E is produced by me, Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonamorphic and music composed by Jason Germain.